Merry-Go-Round Storytelling presents Test Valley Tales with Amanda Kane-Smith. Hello, I'm Amanda. Welcome to the Test Valley Tales podcast. This podcast features the stories from my illustrated book called Test Valley Tales. Each week, I'll be telling a traditional story based in a real location in the beautiful borough of Tess Valley, which, if you're not from round here, is in Hampshire, in England, in the UK. All the stories are different, but they are all magical in one way or another. So whether you're curious about strange-looking dragons or magical wish-giving fish, enchanted trees or even spooky ghost legends, I'm sure there'll be a tale here for everyone. And if you're listening locally, I hope you may want to go out and explore the place the story is set and maybe see if you can find some of the things I refer to there. I can't promise you'll meet any of the magical creatures, but if you do come across any, please say hello from me. Well, I think it's time to get on with this week's tale. So, make yourselves comfortable, and I will set the scene. This story is a magical tale, and it's called The Enchanted Flute of Sadler's Mill. When I was a child, I lived in a thatched cottage that was once mentioned in the Doomsday Book. And if you have heard of the Doomsday Book, you'll know that it was ordered by William I in 1085 and was not as alarming as it sounds. In fact, it was just a record of all the houses, the land and the people who owned them at that time, a little bit like a census we do today. I remember feeling excited when I found out that I lived in such a place. It made my house feel important. I suppose it just meant that my house was incredibly old. In Romsey, there were four mills recorded in the Doomsday Book, and one of those mills stood on the place that we call Sadler's Mill today. Sadler's Mill is near the centre of Romsey, and it's just a short stroll from Romsey Abbey. It's a lovely place to stop and watch the river as it gurgles and splashes on one side and quietly flows on the other. The mill building is still there, but it's no longer a working mill. I would imagine over the years there have been many such buildings rebuilt to suit the times. They would have been all shapes and sizes and looked quite different to the mill we know today. This story is set in one of those old mills. I can't tell you which one for sure, but I do know, like the Doomsday Book, it all happened a very, very long time ago. The mill was a curious-looking building. It was as if its different parts had been randomly put together without any thought at all. 
there was a small thatched hut, like you would find on a farm, attached to a tall pointy tower, like you would find at a castle, attached to a huge wooden wheel, like you would find on a giant's carriage. The mill wheel was made of oak and elm. It was covered in moss and small green plants because it was always slowly dipping parts of itself into the river, constantly turning as the river flowed underneath. And if you closed your eyes when you stood next to it, it would sound like you were standing in a rainstorm, even if you knew it was really a sunny day. The watermill felt like a truly magical place to be. But it was inside that the real magic was happening. As the river flowed and turned the huge wheel on the outside, the wheel would turn a long pole which was attached to the cogs on the inside. The pole would turn the cogs, the cogs would turn the giant millstone, and the millstone would slowly turn on top of another millstone, grinding the corn between them. These round stones were big and bulky. And the corn, which had been hoisted to the top of the tower in sacks, banging through wooden hatches on each floor as it went, was tipped into them and crushed to make flour. The man who oversaw all of this was the miller. The miller's name was Tom, a small, wide man, strong enough to swing the massive heavy corn sacks that arrived by carriage each day onto his back, as if they were just feathery pillows. It was hard work, and while the mill wheel made the outside of the building feel damp and cool, the corn and machinery made the inside dusty and hot. And the noise and clanking chains and banging hatches and grinding stones was like thunder. Tom was used to the noise. He'd always worked in the mill. It was a good job, and he was happy. But once a day, he liked to take himself away from the noise and the dust and into the quiet of the woods to collect firewood for the stove. It felt so different in the woods, and he liked the peace and quiet. Tom always took a corn sack and his axe in case there were any larger branches on the ground which he could chop up and carry home with him. One morning, though, Tom didn't feel like his walk. It was a cold day in late autumn, and he had the sniffles. He led in his bed, looking at the ceiling for a moment. <coughs> that corn won't get ground without me, <coughs> he thought, as he grabbed his hanky and blew his nose. <coughs> oh, I can't just lay here all day. He dragged himself out of bed, wrapped himself in his warmest coat and went outside into the damp morning air. As he walked past the mill pond, he looked down into the still dark water and noticed some bubbles popping on the surface. He thought about the stories he'd heard of water nixies, those magical sprites that lived under the water. Maybe one was looking up at him right now. He leaned over the bridge and looked straight down. But this just made his nose run, so he sniffed, <coughs> pulled his coat around himself and began to walk towards Squab Wood. As he got closer to the wood, a thought crossed his mind. 
Instead of collecting firewood from the ground, maybe I should just chop a tree down and make a wood pile at home. Then, if I don't want to go for my walk, I won't need to. Tom stopped at the first sturdy-looking tree he came to. This one'll do," he said as he patted its trunk. He stood back and, gripping his axe firmly with both of his hands, he swung it over his shoulder. He was about to chop into the tree when he heard a voice. "Stop!" groaned the voice. Tom let his axe drop to the ground and looked around. There was no one there. He paused for a moment, picked up his axe, and swung it over his shoulder. But just as the axe's blade was about to slice into the trunk, there was another loud groan. Stop! Please don't! Tom dropped his axe. He looked at the tree. Then he looked behind him. There was still nobody there. He looked at the tree again. Don't you see what kind of tree I am? Asked the tree. Tom was flabbergasted. He scratched his head. Um, a magic tree? He said doubtfully. He was not in the habit of talking to trees and concluded there must be something magic going on. The tree laughed, and as its branches shook, an apple fell to the ground. You're an apple tree. Yes, and that was my last apple of the season. You may eat it if you like. Tom slowly picked up the apple. It looked fine and juicy, so he began to eat it. Mmm. Mmm. Thank you. Mmm. Crunchy and sweet. Delicious. There, you see. If you cut me down, you'll no longer be able to eat my delicious apples. I am an extremely useful tree. You're right. You are extremely useful," spluttered Tom with a mouthful of apple. "I won't chop you down." Thank you," said the tree. And remember, you look after us, and we'll look after you. Tom walked on. He was feeling a little less sniffly after eating that apple, and soon he found himself in Squab Wood. He looked around and found a nice straight tree. That'll be good for logs, he thought. He stood in front of the tree and swung his axe over his shoulder. He was about to chop when he heard, "Stop!" He looked behind. Was that the apple tree again? He could see no sign of the apple tree, so he walked forwards and put his hand onto the pale, papery bark of the tall tree in front of him. "Hello," he said. But the tree said nothing in return. Tom stood back and waited for a moment. He swung his axe over his shoulder. 
The axe swung forward and sliced into the bark. The tree groaned. Oh, what did you do that for? I'm sorry, tree, said Tom, startled. But I need wood for my fire. You are straight and tall, so I thought you'd be perfect. Firewood? <laughs> how very insulting. Can you not see how beautiful my bark is? And besides, if you were to chop me down, you'd never be able to use my twigs to make brooms or my sap to make syrup. Syrup? Yes. I am a birch tree. I have sap running through my body. You can drink it like water or make it into syrup if you prefer. It's exceptionally good for you, you know. Birch water? I would like to try that sometime. Maybe you're right. You are an extremely useful tree. I won't chop you down. Thank you said the tree. And remember, you look after us, and we'll look after you. Tom swung the axe over his shoulder, picked up his empty corn sack and walked on. <laughs> I wouldn't mind some of that birch water now, he thought as he strolled along. He looked around him at all the trees. He had never really noticed how different each one was. Suddenly, he felt like he was surrounded by giants. Not scary giants like in the stories, but ones that seemed to welcome him as he walked amongst them. Tom stopped and shook his head. <laughs> giants, he chuckled to himself. What a silly thought and on he went looking for a good tree for firewood. A few more steps, and he found just the one. It had a short trunk and long branches. This will be perfect, he thought. He put his sack down, gripped the axe between his hands, and swung it over his shoulder. He was about to chop into its small mossy trunk when he heard, Stop! Tom dropped his axe and spoke directly to the tree. I expect your magic as well. The tree shook its branches. Well, yes, as it happens, I do have a reputation for magic. My branches make the best ones, even if I do say so myself. But you know me better for another reason. You like hazelnuts, do you not? Well, yes, I do. How do you know that? Because you collected nuts from me last year. I remember you with your axe and your bag. You like to call them cob nuts, I think. And you're the miller. Tom said nothing. He just tilted his head to one side and looked at the tree in wonder. Well, my friend, continued the tree, You've missed my cobs this season, I'm afraid. All eaten by the woodland creatures who've had a splendid time feasting on them. But if you come and find me a little earlier next year, you can gather them again. That is, if you don't chop me down today, of course. 
Tom looked at the hazel tree. He remembered that day last year. It had been a wonderfully warm autumn morning, and the fallen leaves had made the ground look like a mosaic of browns and purples, oranges and yellows. He also remembered coming across the hazelnuts scattered on the ground, and how he'd filled the bottom of his sack with them and taken them home to roast on the fire. Ah,、oh, what a treat that had been! I do remember you, Hazel Tree. I can see you're an extremely useful tree indeed, and your cobs were very tasty. I won't chop you down. Thank you, Miller," said the tree. "And remember, you look after us, and we'll look after you." Tom picked up his empty bag and his axe and carried on through the wood. But every tree he looked at seemed far too useful to chop down. Cedar trees offered shelter on winter nights. Pine cones were perfect to start fires. The hawthorn gave its berries. Each tree gave something valuable he couldn't afford to lose. At last, Tom found himself back by the river. He walked over to one of the willow trees he loved so much for its shade, and sat underneath to think. He leaned back against its trunk and looked up. He saw the birds nesting in its branches and felt snug in its shade, with the branches dangling down around him. "You're useful too, aren't you, old friend?" he said to the willow. "I think I'll just gather branches from the ground as I have always done." All trees serve a purpose. It would be a mistake to cut any of them down. No sooner had he uttered these words than he heard a splash and a plop from the river in front of him. Tom sat up, then leant forwards on his hands and knees to look at the river through the dangling branches of the willow. There was something there, peeking up out of the water, surrounded by tiny bubbles. He could just make out the top of its head and its small round eyes staring at him. At first, he thought it must be an otter, but then the creature began to slowly rise until you could see its shoulders. Tom realized that it wasn't an otter at all. But a woman, although she was not like any of the women in his little town, her wet hair hung around her shoulders like a cloak and was tangled and matted with water weeds. He moved closer and pushed the dangling branches of the willow out of his way so he could get a better look at her face. Her skin was downy and soft. And there were tiny droplets of river water resting on her eyelashes like diamonds, which made her small brown eyes sparkle in the late autumn sunlight. This must be a water nixie, Tom thought with a start. He knew better than to talk to such a creature. Water nixies were known to be unkind to humans. But then, 
the water Nixie spoke. Don't be afraid, Tom the Miller, she said. I have been asked to reward you for the respect you have shown for our trees. She stretched out one of her arms towards the riverbank. In her hand, he saw a small wooden instrument. Take this flute. It's a magical thing. And if you play it when you need something from nature, all the birds and beasts will be happy to help you in return for your kindness. If you want honey, play it to the bees. If you want berries, play it to the birds. Just one thing, though, said the water Nixie seriously. Only play it when you really need something. And never ask for anything that would go against nature. Never ask nature to do something it would not usually do. Never do that. She opened her hand and the little flute flew through the air. Without thinking, Tom stretched out his hand and caught it. By the time he looked back to the river, there were only bubbles where the water Nixie had been. Tom looked at the flute. It had small holes all the way down its body, and there was a little water reed sticking out at one end to blow through. It was a strange-looking thing, but Tom desperately wanted to play it. So he did. He looked up at the sky and saw some little red wings flying overhead. He put the reed between his lips and began to blow softly. The flute began to play the most magical music he had ever heard. He raised his head and aimed the music at the red wings. As soon as he did, they stopped and flew towards him. What should I ask for, he thought. What do redwigs eat? I know, berries. He cleared his throat and said, Hello, little birds. Please bring me some hawthorn berries. The little birds instantly turned on their wings and flew away and in no time at all came back with hawthorn berries in their beaks, which they carefully dropped in the miller's hand. Thank you he said in amazement. He looked at the berries in one hand and the flute in the other. What a strange morning it had turned out to be. Then he looked up the river at his mill. The sun was creeping higher and higher over its rooftop. <gasps> he was late! He'd been so lost in the magic of the morning he'd completely forgotten about the mill. Clutching the berries and the flute tightly in his hands, he ran to begin his work for the day. That winter passed uneventfully. The miller, only occasionally using his flute, mindful of the Nixie's warning. Once he fancied making some crab apple chutney and had asked some crows to find the last of the crab apples, which they happily did. 
Another time, he asked the squirrels to find him some nuts, which he roasted on the fire. Then once, he asked a hawk to go hunting for him, which the hawk gladly did, and bought the miller a fine rabbit which the miller cooked in a pot. The next spring, when it was time to begin to plant his vegetable garden, the miller began to use his flute more and more. He asked the moles to dig his garden and the ants to carry and sow the seeds. On rainy days, he would ask the wind to blow the clouds so the rain would fall onto his plants and on sunny days, he would ask the sun to shine brightly to make them grow. When everything was ready to eat, rather than collecting the harvest in himself, he asked the foxes to dig up his vegetables and the birds to collect his summer berries. Woodpeckers would tap holes in the birch trees so the birch water would flow, and bees bought him the best honeycomb he had ever tasted. Tom's life had become extremely easy indeed. He began to grow lazy and started to resent having to work in the mill and grind the corn for others. Then, one morning, as he was sitting on the wall of the bridge by his mill, a thought crossed his mind. If I was to tell the river to stop flowing, just for a day, the water wheel would not be able to turn. Then I could put my feet up and really enjoy being waited on by the birds and the beasts. Now, Tom had always been impulsive and rarely put much thought into the things he did. So there and then he recklessly jumped off the wall onto the bridge and looked down at the river. He played his flute and commanded, River, stop! Do not Flow. If Tom had paused to think for a moment, he would have remembered the water Nixie's warning. But he was too overcome with his newfound power. He had asked the river to go against nature, and a river cannot stop. As soon as his words hit the air, the mill pond, which moments earlier had been calm, began to churn like a whirlpool, turning the dark green water white as it crashed and collided, frothed and fizzed in a swirling fury. The river, instead of stopping, rushed towards the mill wheel. Some of the water escaped out onto the riverbank and across the fields, but it was moving so fast that most of it was hurtling forward. The bridge tried to hold it back, but there was just too much water. Then there was a sudden gush as a huge wave crashed over the bridge like an enormous waterfall, taking Tom and the flute with it. Tom's body, which was usually so strong, felt powerless and fragile, and he was swept away like a corn sack below the wave, only to be spat out further along the river like an unwanted rag. Then, just as quickly as it had appeared, the wave flattened out. The water began to retreat, 
And Tom found himself stretched out, wretched and wet, on the bank as the calm water flowed gently past his feet. There he stayed for a long time. He thought about what he had done and regretted his foolishness. He had also lost his flute. Finally, he was able to stand. And, grateful to be alive, he made his way back to the mill. He could see the water wheels slowly turning and hear the birds singing and, were it not for the puddles on the bridge, it was as if nothing had happened. Tom dried himself off and went back to work. Later that day, when everything was quiet and the little town was going about its business, no one noticed a small flute washed up on the riverbank. Nor did they notice when a hand reached out from the river to grab the flute and take it back into the waters below. Tom the miller was never able to hear the trees again, but he still made sure to only use the wood he found on the ground for his fires. And it's thought that since that day, Trees have never spoken directly to another human being again. Although, if you listen very carefully to the rustle of the leaves above your heads, you may just be able to hear, as they whisper to the air, You look after us, and we'll look after you. You look after us, and we'll look after you. You look after us, and we'll look after you. You look after us, and we'll look after you. <laughs> I think that is a great environmental message. And I hope that story illustrates a little of the incredible diversity of tree life we can find in our forests. And while in the real world we do need to cut down trees to use for all sorts of purposes, it's important we do that in a sustainable and informed way. Everything that lives in a forest works together as a community to make a unique ecosystem. And we are lucky to still have such a patchwork of different trees, old and new, in our woods and forests. It's important we protect them. In fact, I read on the United Nations Sustainable Development website that over 80% of the world's plants, animals and insects that live on land are found in its forests. That's amazing. Now, 
The Enchanted Flute of Sadler's Mill is the only Test Valley tale set in an urban environment. So I thought, for this episode, it would be fun to explore the walk from Sadler's Mill to Romsey Town Centre and tell you a few of the facts that I discovered while researching the story along the way. Maybe you can look out for these things next time you take a visit to the mill. So here I am at Sadler's Mill and I don't know whether you can hear but there's the sound of rushing water ahead of me and that will be well the mill water sposhing and splashing around. Let me see. Oops, just through the gate. And here we are. Oh, it's, it's so beautiful here. It's such a it's a really beautiful red brick building and well, the water is rushing under the bridge here and through out into the river. I mean, it's, it's lovely. It's just white and frothy and swirling and whooshing. And well, this part of, the, um, of Sadler's Mill actually used to be called Salmon's Leap. And that's because salmon would leap out of the water here as they made their way um, upriver to their spawning grounds during the autumn. Unfortunately, that doesn't happen anymore because the, um, the path of the river was changed. But it's still a really, really impressive sight as I lean over and try not to drop my microphone into the water. And if I go over to this side, it's a little bit quieter. Oh, that's a good sound. Now I'm going to walk round past the mill itself, past, past Salmon's Leap, scrunching on all of the stones, past the building, round the corner, under its beautiful wooden gable end here. It's, oh, it's so lovely and there's a great big door. Oh, Sadler's Mill. Here we are. Oh, and down there, round the corner, look. There is a willow tree. Now, I bet that one over there was probably the one that Tom would have sheltered under after he'd been to Squab Wood, which Squab Wood is actually over there somewhere. I'm not sure where, but it's, it's just over there. Now, so I think that tree there must be the willow tree that Tom sheltered under. I can see all its leaves dangling and its branches dangling in the water. Now, as well as offering shade, those bendy branches of willows are great for making all sorts of useful things from um, baskets to beehives. And its bark was traditionally used for its healing powers to treat things like colds and fevers, pains and rheumatism. And we still use it today as the original source for aspirin. Well, there you go. <laughs> So I'm going to walk back now and I'm going to wander into, well, into town, into Romsey Centre. So first of all, I'm going to have to go past, back past Sadler's Mill, past the noisy salmon leap. No salmon, but lots of frothy water. Oh, I love this building. Round the corner, all past the blue plaque, which says Sadler's Mill, Rebuilt by the first Lord Palmerston in 1748, 
There have been mills in this area since medieval times. This river test mill and salmon leap form a famous Romsey beauty spot. Well, it certainly does. And it's part of the heritage trail. Oh, past we go again. Round the corner and I'm going to walk back down the little path. Oh, it's lovely down here. There's lots of um, little red brick houses on the right-hand side and on the left-hand side there's a great big open field. It's amazing to be right in the centre of a town. It's a really, really nice walk. So I've just come to the end of the path and just heading towards the park here. And just before you get to the park, there's a bridge. And the bridge crosses over another part of the river. And here on my right is a well, it's really, really, really beautiful willow tree. And I think it's the perfect spot to tell you, well, to tell you another couple of facts about willow trees, which I think are pretty cool. So willow trees, in case you didn't know, have been surrounded by myths and folklore since, well, ancient times. And in Greek mythology, the poet Orpheus is given his gift of music and poetry after touching a willow tree in a grove sacred to Persephone, or so, it's, or so they say. Um, this one, which I think is really cool, is the Druids have... Well, they have this wonderful creation story which says the universe and all mankind was hatched from two scarlet eggs hidden inside a willow tree. One egg became the sun and the other egg became the earth. Well, there you go. Did you know you were that important, willow tree? Right, I'm heading off now. So I've just walked past the park over another bridge and we're heading into town. And as I walk along here, if I look over to my left, I can see the top of the abbey. It looks like a big square from here with another little square on top. And on the very top of that, I think is a cross. So I'm now coming round the corner and there it is, the abbey. Oh, it, it's really, really beautiful. It's got a lovely long window at one end. It's a glass window, so you can kind of see all the little lights twinkling inside. Oh, and it's just beautiful. Now, this place has got loads of um, stories attached to it, mostly about the nuns. Um, there's all sorts of miraculous things that seem to have happened here over the years. And one story tells how the nuns flee from the abbey to escape the invading Danes and how they are turned into cats when they become lost in Harewood Forest. Now, curiously, there are stories of wild cats living in the forests at that time. So, I don't know, maybe it's true. And cats seem to be a little bit of a theme for the abbey because if you look at this wall, you will see a variety of um, faces called corbels. And apparently there are at least nine cat heads up there. Now, let's see if I can find one. Oh yes, there's one looking down at me. Oh, they're amazing. This side of the abbey is just lovely. The windows on this side have got stained glass in some of them. I'd really, really like to go inside, but I haven't got time today 
because I'm on a little walk, but I think I'll come back another time and have a little look on the inside of the building. It, it's just really lovely, and as you come around here, we're in the town centre, and just over there is King John's House, and that is where I am headed, because I happen to know that I might be able to get a cup of tea, or maybe a cup of coffee, or even a cake. And here we are, just down the little lane by Romsey Heritage and Visitor Centre. And, oh, look at this place. Well, it, King John's house is just such a beautiful building. I mean, it's just like walking back in time. And the garden, that's oh, just lovely. It's like a little paradise in the middle of a town. Oh, and it says, King John's house and museum. 13th century medieval house, Tudor cottage and Victorian museum set in period style gardens. King John's Garden is open between 10 to 4, Monday to Saturday. And the admission is free, so, well, this is just a beautiful place to come. I'm going to go inside now. I think and finish off my journey with a lovely cup of tea. Well, that's it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed the tale and the facts behind it as much as I enjoyed discovering them and writing the story. Thank you for listening. Test Valley Tales is an Arts Council-funded project and part of Test Valley Arts Foundation Borough of Culture Legacy Projects. You can find all sorts of project resources on my website at www.merry-go-roundstorytelling.co.uk forward slash test valley tales there is a downloadable map with postcodes to find all the story locations links to walks and craft activities you can also buy the test valley tales illustrated book of short stories there test valley tales is on instagram facebook and twitter as at test valley tales and this podcast can be found on podbean at podbean.com forward slash test valley tales if you are interested in finding out about other types of storytelling i get up to or you would like to book me for an event you can email me at mgrstorytelling at gmail.com i am on facebook instagram and twitter as at mgr storytelling and merry go round storytelling on youtube I also have another storytelling podcast which can be found at podbean.com forward slash funny tales and fairy tales. And all this information can be found on my website, which is www.merry-go-roundstorytelling.co.uk. Happy storytelling, and I look forward to telling you another tale soon.